So today we'll kind of take a, like a stopping point in our series, God Still Reigns, uh, looking at the book of Daniel, but we're in Daniel chapter 6, if you want to join me there. And, uh, and so last week we were looking at a transition, uh, Daniel uh, was with Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, and God was saying, your time is up, there's going to be a new king, a new kingdom coming in, and that's what we see here in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6. And it's interesting, right, because in, in Daniel chapter 5, Daniel was kind of in retirement. He had served Nebuchadnezzar. Then his grandson brings him out of retirement. Then there's this transition from the Babylonian kingdom to the Persian kingdom. And it looks like, we, as we open up this chapter, that Daniel has a high position. He's one of the top three people. And, uh, and basically, we, sometimes when we think about Daniel, we think about him as a young guy, right? So tonight we're going to look at the story, right? The children's story, Daniel in the lion's den. And we usually think of Daniel being a young guy, but at this point in time, he's actually about 80 years old. So he's, he's a pretty, uh, he's kind of up there in, in, in years now, but he's back working for the king of Persia. And uh, even though you think he should be in retirement, he's not in retirement. He's one of the top three guys ruling the kingdom. And basically, Darius, the king of the empire, sees how great Daniel is. He's about to give him a promotion because Daniel is just doing great at his job. He's doing awesome. Like, I think I was visiting my grandpa last weekend, and my grandpa, you know, he's a retired Wall Street accountant, but he likes the fact that he gets to be on the board of his condo, right, working with the budget and figuring out the best deals to save people money, lower HOA fees, and, and maximize what they can do for people. So, you know, he'll say the kid has still got it. That's one of the phrases he'll have. Like, as he figures out ways to, like, minimize everybody's fees, the kid has still got it. He's like, you know, 78 years old, but he's still sharp and able to do the best accounting thing. And that's what I think about here with Daniel. He's 82 years old. He's still working in government, still running a huge kingdom, but the kid has still got it. He's doing great at his job. He's killing it, but he's doing a little bit too good, and it makes everybody else jealous. And so it says that the other rulers with him, they're jealous of Daniel because Daniel's about to get this promotion, the promotion they've all wanted, and he's going to run the entire kingdom for Darius. Darius will sit back, enjoy being king, and Daniel's going to do the work. He gets this promotion that everybody else wants, and they're jealous. And it says that Daniel gets this promotion because he's faithful, because he has this extraordinary spirit. He does his job well. And he, there's no corruption or negligence in what he does. And basically, there's this undertone that not only is the, are the other people jealous of Daniel, but it's like Daniel's promotion means all of their chances of getting rich in government and their government jobs are over, right? Because in this kingdom, Daniel, ha he doesn't do anything with corruption, negligence. He's overseeing people. And when he sees bribes, when he sees different things, he doesn't stand for it, right? So he's honest in everything he does, and in all the work that he oversees, he holds people to these high standards. And now his colleagues and his peers are like, there goes our chances, right, of making money. And so they can't abuse power. They can't take bribes. They can't mismanage money and move things to their bank accounts with Daniel in charge. And so they say, we got to find a way to take him out. And that's what they do in this chapter. And so for Daniel, things go from really good to really bad in just the blink of an eye. And so that's what we're going to talk about now, when things go from really good to really bad. And, you know, sometimes in life when things are going really good for us, we can be worried, like, something's going to happen, right? The other shoe is going to drop, right? And things are not going to be that same way. And Daniel experiences that in this chapter, right? He goes from the top of the kingdom 
to the bottom of the pit, literally. But what we see in this chapter, what we see in Daniel's life is that he has this relationship with God that takes care of him. And so he's okay whether things are really good or really bad because he knows God's presence in, our, in his life. And so we're going to look at some of those things that allow him to be able to enjoy the really good times, but also to be cool, calm, and collective when things get really bad and allow him to see, because of that, God's faithfulness in every situation. And so if you want to join with me, we'll just go through this chapter and see three things in Daniel's life that allow him to be confident and, and faithful to God in every circumstance, whether it's really good or really bad. And so it says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, it says, at this time, the supervisors and the satraps, the governors, they tried to find ground for a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they couldn't find any fault or corruption because he was trustworthy. No, de- no negligence or dishonesty could be found in him, right? There wasn't anything that he should have been doing that he wasn't doing, and there wasn't anything that he was doing, right? Everything he did was right, and he didn't forget to do anything. He didn't fail to do anything he was supposed to do. They couldn't find anything. They, they, right? They're searching, right? We, we, we wish we could say this about like our leaders today, right? If people could look at our politicians and try to find some dirt on them, right, that they couldn't find anything. But this is what happens, right? They sent undercover detectives. They want to find what is just one scandal, one piece of dirt we can find on Daniel. Nothing. Can't find anything to take him down. And so in verse 6, finally these men said, we're not going to find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless we find something against him regarding the law of his God. We've got to find some way whereby following his God gets him in trouble. And so these supervisors and satraps, they went to the king as a group, and they said to him, King Darius, live forever. All of the supervisors of the realm, all of the magistrates, ministers, and governors, we've all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any other god or man for 30 days other than you, O king, will be cast into the lion's den. So now king, issue this decree which can't be altered according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So Darius issued this decree. So one of the interesting things is they say, don't pray to anybody else. And basically, they're not saying, Darius, you're a god, but they're saying all prayers have to come through you. Like if anybody wants to pray to any god, they have to come and they have to do their prayers through you, that you're this mediator. And basically, this is a time, right, when Darius has just established his kingdom, right? He just kicked out the Babylonian king. Now he rules the entire Middle East, right, from Ethiopia to India, and he wants to solidify his rulership and his kingdom. And so they're saying one of the ways you can do that is if you say no matter what your religion is, they got to go through you as the middleman. All prayers got to be directed to you and then from you to the different gods. And basically, right, he is this mediator, and that's one of the reasons why it says, right, the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which can't be altered, revoked, you can't take it back, you can't say, uh, didn't mean it, right, you can't repeal these laws, because they said, if you're a mediator between the gods and humans, then you shouldn't make mistakes. And so the Persians said, when a king made this decree, he was infallible, because he represented the gods. And so they say, make this decree that you can't repeal, you can't take back, that you're the only mediator for 30 days. Everybody has got to pray through you. And he signs this decree, and that's when we find Daniel, right? And it's so interesting. It says that when he learned the decree that had been issued, he went into his house 
where the windows in the upper room were open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he knelt down, prayed, and gave thanks before his God, just as he did before. Right? So one of the if interest, first thing that catches my attention, right, is it says he prays three times a day, right? He's the CEO, right, of the biggest company on earth, right? He's ruling the kingdom, right, for Darius, right, from Ethiopia to India. He's got the most intense, stressful job, yet he finds time to pray three times a day, right? I, I remember this quote from Martin Luther, and right, Martin Luther, something's really good, something's really bad, but one of the things he said is, I'm so busy, I'm too busy not to pray. I'm so busy that I got to spend the first three hours of my day with God. And that stuck out to me, right? Because the first thing I see about Daniel is for him, prayer is not a last resort, it's his first move, right? It's not when things get really bad, he'll call a Hail Mary from his, from his foxhole and ask God to intervene. But this entire time, his way of life has been to pray three times a day. And as I think about it, as I think about what maybe Martin Luther was getting at, was that in life, you're going to have so many issues, so many things come up, right? Every day, crises, emergencies, trouble we, didn't, we weren't expecting. But he's, Martin Luther would say, right, things are so busy, I have to pray and say, God, clear the path for me, right? There's going to be spiritual warfare. There's going to be things that happen outside of my control. God, would you come into the situation? And he was so busy, he knew he needed God to go before him and clear the path. And I just get this idea that Daniel is doing the same thing, that for him, prayer is not a last resort, but it's the first move. And whether things are really good or really bad, he's going to say, God, I'm desperate, I'm dependent upon you, and I need you to clear my path, right? He's got a lot of headaches managing a huge kingdom, but for him, prayer is not a last resort, it's his first move. And he does it, he does it facing Jerusalem. And so for him, one of the interesting things, right, is, is when I think about him facing Jerusalem, right, we do that when we, when we say the Shema as a congregation, we face to Jerusalem. And as I think about that, I think back to King Solomon, what he wrote, what we have in 1 Kings 8, where he said to the Jewish people, he prophetically spoke, he said, when you guys sin against God, because we all sin, God is going to send you out into exile. He said, but when you are in exile, if you turn to Jerusalem, if you face Jerusalem, this city, and pray in the direction of this temple, if you pray and turn to this temple and pray a prayer of repentance and turning your hearts back to God, he is going to turn back to you and restore your people. And so as I think about Daniel, I think about the fact that he probably had this in mind, right? If we turn over to Daniel chapter 9, right, verse 3, it says it's the first year of King Darius, so this exact same time, and it says Daniel is reading the scroll, I think, of Jeremiah, and he sees these words that say, if you turn back to me after 70 years, if you pray, I'll bring you back into the land, right? And so we see in Daniel chapter 9, the exact same time that this is happening, Daniel is praying for the restoration of the Jewish people and the restoration of Israel. And so one of the interesting things is we can see it wasn't just a random prayer he's praying in Daniel chapter 9, but this is his way of life, right? Three times a day, every day, he is seeking God and praying for the restoration of the Jewish people in Israel. And for him, it's so important. He's willing to risk his life. He's willing to risk being thrown into the lion's den for it because he cares so deeply about the Jewish people and about Israel and about God's work among them that he's going to risk his life. 
And so I just want us to take a pause there for a second. As, as we got the high holy days coming up, as we have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur coming up, I just want this to be a challenge and an encouragement to us to spend this next week, to spend these next two weeks praying for the Jewish people in our city, that just like Daniel was praying for the restoration of the Jewish people in Israel, that we would be praying for that. That during this time when Jewish people around the world might say, I only go to synagogue like twice a year, right? They may be willing to come to synagogue or to click on an online service, right? And now it's easier than ever for people just to click on an online service from home and watch. And I think to myself, this could be a time where Jewish people may not, you know, give synagogue a time of day and a thought, but they might for these next two weeks. And I just think of it as a challenge for us to follow Daniel's example and to pray for our Jewish people, to pray that God would restore them and bring them to Yeshua. And so I think this is just a challenge to have in front of us over these next two weeks to pray for our Jewish people, especially our Jewish people in this city, and to actually maybe invite some of them to click and join us for the online services next week. Uh, I'm excited about the speakers we're going to be having and what God is going to do. And just like God restored our Jewish people when Daniel prayed these thousands of years ago, God promises he can do that today. And so I just want to encourage us to follow Daniel's example for this in prayer, where he turns to Jerusalem three times a day to prayer, that for him, prayer isn't a last resort. It's his first move, where he knows whether it's his job, he's dependent upon God. Whether it's the return of the Jewish people to Israel and to God, he's dependent upon God. In every area, he's desperate and dependent upon God. And so prayer, it isn't his last resort. It's his first move. And so he does what he does every day, and he prays. And it says that when he does this, it says, then these men who plotted to take him down, then they came up as a group. They found Daniel praying, making supplication before his God. So they approached the king. They spoke to him and said, didn't you issue this decree? Nobody can pray to anybody else. And so the king is all frazzled at this point because he knows that's the law. I can't do anything. Can't be repealed. Can't take it back. And so he looks, he spends the entire day looking for a legal loophole, right? I don't know if you guys have ever done that, looking for loopholes, right? My dad, when I think about loopholes, I think about my dad and I think about Sukkot, right? So after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're going to have Sukkot. And one of those obscure verses in Leviticus says, when you celebrate Sukkot, you got to live in a sukkah for seven days. And when my dad came to faith in Yeshua and he was taking the Bible seriously for the first time, he's like, Oh, no. He's like, God, I live in upstate New York. It gets frigid. It gets cold. He's like, I don't want to be outside right in the middle of October, November. It is cold. And so he's like, I know I'm not supposed to pray like this, but hey, God, would you show me a loophole? Would you show me why this verse in the Bible doesn't apply to me? So that's what he was praying, and God showed him a loophole. It says, actually, only native-born Israelites have to live in a sukkah for seven days. So God gave him a loophole there, and sometimes we look for loopholes. And so this day, Darius, he's looking for a loophole, why he doesn't have to have his number one guy thrown into the lion's den, spends the entire day, cannot figure out a loophole. And so at sunset, he says, it is what he is. And so they have to bring Daniel into the lion's den. And Daniel is cast down into this pit. And like I said earlier, Daniel's 82, right? So he's not like the 18-year-old stud he was at the beginning of the book, right? Now he's a frail 82-year-old man being thrown into a pit. And yet through this entire time, his integrity remains constant. 
And that's the second thing I see. So the first thing was prayer isn't a last resort. It's his first move. And then this next thing, integrity is not just a success, a success tactic for him, right? He's going to have integrity when it comes to living right, working right, and serving God in everything, right? Because integrity, right, if it's just a success tactic, you can use it when it works and throw it away when it doesn't work, right? His integrity is what caused him to rise to the top at his work, the chain of command to be considered for the number one promotion. And yet now, after they passed that decree about prayer, right, he could just, you know, compromise a little bit, right? He could just close the windows when he prays, right? Not a big deal, right? A small thing, just close the window when you pray. Not a big deal, right? Small thing, right? And yet, for him, integrity isn't just a success tactic to help him get ahead. It's his way of life. And I was, um, I was reading a quote by Charles Spurgeon where he talked about this. And it was interesting what he said. He said, you know, sometimes we can think these things are just trifles, right? Small matters, not, right? We can think they're not essential, these small things in life. He says, they're just straws, but they're straws that tell us what direction the wind blows. And what he's saying is, right, these things, it's a small matter, right? Open or close the shades, right? Small issue, right? But when these small things, what they do is they show, right, the direction of the wind, right, the direction of our heart. It's going to be the small things in life that show us whether our heart posture to God is, God, I'm going to follow you, I'm loyal to you, I'm going to obey you when it's easier, when it's hard. Or when it comes to the small things, our heart posture can show that we like to serve God when we think it'll have a payoff. But when it doesn't line up as a success, a success tactic, when it's not just a life hack to get ahead, then it goes on the back burner. And, uh, and working in business for a few years, I was working with different business people, and I could see people who, for them, right, if an integrity meant on a report, it was going to show that we were behind schedule. If that was going to mean consequences, they were going to do it. And I've been with business people who are like, we can fudge the rules and we can move things around. If it's going to, if it's going to help people in the end, if it's going to have an, a good impact, it's, I can fudge things and move them around a little bit. And yet what we see in Daniel's life is for him, integrity is not just a life hack to get ahead. It's a way of life. It's, and the small things are what shows what kind of man he is. And so for him, he says, you know what? Having these windows open and closed, he had this conviction from God. It's not just how much sunlight comes into the room. It was a bigger deal. And I think it's, it's this challenge for us that in everything in life, not to just maybe brush things off as small, but to invite God's spirit to guide us, to convict us, and to show us maybe what small things are bigger because God wants to use them to reveal the direction and posture of our hearts. And those, so that's what we can see in Daniel's life here, right? Even this small thing, just the shades, just the windows, open or closed, revealed that for Daniel, integrity wasn't just a life hack. It wasn't just a tactic for success, but it was a way of life. And so even when he's being marched and thrown into a pit as an 82-year-old frail old man, he is not going to budge for one second because for him, loyalty and allegiance to God is the number one thing he does. And then the last thing I see about him is that love is not just a front, right? Prayer is not just a last resort. Integrity is not just a life hack. And then love is not just a front. 
because in this relationships we have here, it's crazy that just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, the three amigos in the fiery furnace, right, when they were under pressure, right, they didn't go on the defensive, they didn't go on the offense, right, they didn't attack the people who were accusing them, they didn't try to justify themselves, and Daniel does the same thing here, right, he doesn't go on the defensive before the king trying to explain what he did and why it wasn't disloyalty. He doesn't go on the offensive trying to take the other people down at just what they were doing, which was just a cheap shot to get rid of the competition. Daniel doesn't go on the offensive or the defensive, right? His relationship with the king, his respect for the king doesn't change when the king makes a stupid decision. For him, love isn't just a front, it's true. And for me, it just sticks out because in those moments of pressure, it can be easy to say, okay, maybe we treat people with love because it can help us get our hat, right? Flattery will get you in anywhere, right? Kindness, right, brings good karma, right? And yet even when l- treating people with love is not going to do anything for him, even when all of these other people that he's working with him totally betray him, line him up to take the fall, even when the king makes a stupid decision, he does not treat them any differently. He doesn't go on the defensive. He doesn't go on the offensive. He doesn't lose his respect for other people. For him, love is not a front, but a way of life. And he can do this because he says to the king, I can do this, right? I can be in the lion's den and not be bitten, right? I can be in the lion's den and not turn back on my integrity. He says, because I have trusted in God. Because I, he says, no injury of any, count, of any kind was found on me because I trusted in my God. And for me, what it hits me, right, is that in life, if our love is not built on trusting God, then it's not secure, right? Right, because we can so many times be influenced by what's happening. When it helps us to love other people, when it, when it works out for us, when it brings good karma, right, we can do it. But when it's difficult, what are we going to do? And then there's this aspect too, right? If we're dependent upon pleasing people, right? If we're dependent upon how people like us and what they think of us, we can love people, right? Because we're so concerned with how they think of us, we're not free to love them when love maybe says something that's tough for them to hear or when love sets a hard boundary that they don't want to follow. When I think about this, when I think about love, I can see here Daniel is free. He'd be to love people because he's not bound by them liking him. He's not bound by what the king thinks of him. He's not bound by what happens with the king. He is free to love God and love people because he's not bound to what people think of him and what it does to them based on his relationship. That love frees him to be consistent in every circumstance. And so when things are really good in Daniel's life and he's at the top of the biggest kingdom in the world, or when he's sitting in the lion's den, right, having been thrown in, watching a lion stroll over to him, right, in every circumstance, Daniel knows this faith, he knows this calm, because for him, it wasn't just a Hail Mary prayer, right, in the, in the foxhole in the lion's den. For him, prayer wasn't just the last resort, it was his first move. For him, it wasn't just a matter of, okay, I'm going to get right with God at the last second, Because for him, integrity wasn't just a life hack, it was a way of life. And for him, love wasn't just a front. It was because he knew the love of God and he could trust in God. And because he does this, he says, the the lions couldn't bite me, 
right? He says, I wasn't injured at all, right? Thrown into a pit, an eight-year-old guy, they inspect him afterwards, no bruises. He is saying, not one injury on my body because he trusted in God. And for me, this takeaway is that sometimes life (laughs) is painful, right? Sometimes in life we feel betrayed. Sometimes in life you feel like you've just been thrown into a pit. And yet ultimately he walks away uninjured because he trusts in a God who is faithful. And because of that, God is not only able to protect Daniel, but Darius is able to send this letter at this end of this chapter to the entire kingdom describing the greatness of God. Right, Because of Daniel's life and his faith, God becomes famous across the Persian Empire and everybody is able to see the kind of God that Daniel has. And Darius writes this to everybody in the kingdom. He says, for he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion will never end, right? God still reigns. He delivers and rescues. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. And he has delivered Daniel from the lion's den. Because of Daniel's faith, we can see the power of God that he's able to rescue and deliver. That even in times, whether they're really good or really bad, our God is able to protect and rescue And because of Daniel's faith in those moments, right, because his prayer, his integrity, and his love goes deeper, God becomes famous in Persia. And as I see this story of Daniel's faith in God, it just gives me this excitement, this challenge to see God. How can God become famous in our lives? How can God become famous in our city through the life that we live with our prayer and with our integrity and our love? and allow God to speak to us to see how God can become famous through our lives as we turn and trust in him where prayer isn't just the last resort, where integrity isn't just a life hack, and where love isn't just a front. God can do amazing things like he did for Daniel.